once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Greetings, Captains. You're listening to episode 273 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded on Thursday, June 2nd, and available for download or streaming on Monday, June 6th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And as always, locked away in the recording booth, never to see the light of day, is Winters. Hey, buddy, hey, let me out of here. So, Kenna, what uh, what do we have up this week? Well, this week we're trekking out what's wrong with the new Star Trek Beyond posters, and we're also looking at the newest addition to the new TV series writing team. In Star Trek Online, I'm looking at the dynamics of minority player bases in STO, and Mark takes us through the latest mission that's been announced for Agents of Yesterday. Later, Jace is back with another Treklit 101. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can also send us an email. That's right, at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Visit us at patreon.com forward slash Priority One and find out about all the cool perks we have to offer. All right, Captains, if a financial contribution isn't an option, there are other ways that you can help improve Priority One. For instance, we are currently looking for a team of bloggers, or a blogger that likes to write a lot, to help report on all things Star Trek over at PriorityOnePodcast.com, our main website. Are you always in the know about Star Trek news? Does your phone buzz with Trek information as it happens? Well, we want you to join the team and help us report on it on the site. So shoot us an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com or just click on the red shirt Uncle Sam on our website. Now let's check out some of the latest news in the world of Star Trek. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Now that the Star Trek Beyond fan event is out of the way, the marketing for the film is really starting to step up ahead of its July release. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Thank you, Elijah. This week, Paramount released new posters featuring all the film's main characters, including newcomer Jayla and the villain Crawl. The posters are colorful, dynamic, dramatic, and uh, a little bit wrong. So someone in the art department is going to be getting a slap on the wrist this week because posters of Sulu and Ahura went out with the com badges on the wrong side of their uniforms. Uh-oh. No way. Now, really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's not uncommon for graphic artists to flip photos around to use in these kind of things, and I can see why they did it, so that the style of the posters all matched, but uh, I just can't believe that these images got through the whole art department, and then the entire marketing and PR departments and whoever else signs these things off, and no one noticed that the com badges were wrong. I mean, it's only, like, the most iconic piece of Star Trek costuming ever, but no biggie, right? So Now, for the record, the com badge is supposed to be on what side? Left side. I was testing. Over the heart. Duh. 
So anyway, I am holding my breath here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the marketing and PR team is not the same team that makes the film. They're probably not even remotely related, but seriously, how have... Just how have they managed to put together a team of people who are so completely ignorant of Star Trek iconography? I'm telling you, I don't know what (laughs) is going on over there. Seriously. Well, it's just, how can you be an adult and not know this? (laughs) Even if you're not a Star Trek fan, like, you can't avoid Star Trek. Like, you just can't. So how, I don't, it baffles the mind. No, I can can get why a non-Trek person would would make that mistake and put it on the other side. I think actually in one picture I have, uh, I forget who I took it with, but I have the com badge on the wrong side. Um, yeah, I have I have a picture with Leonard Nimoy and the com badge, I'm looking at it right now, and the com badge is on my right side. I have no respect for you anymore, Elijah. How now, did that, what, how? <laughs> I don't know. It just, I, I must've forgotten. I must've like not, I must've not been paying attention and, yeah, I have a picture. I have to live with that picture for the rest of my life now. <laughs> the, shame, the shame. The shame. I'm shaking hands with Leonard Nimoy. He has his armor on my shoulder. And I have the com badge on the, on the right side. Oh, my God. It's, uh... You didn't even take the time to Photoshop correct the picture. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even Photoshop correct it. It's on my face. It's somewhere. I'm sure you can find it on the internet. Well, it, regardless, uh, it's not really a problem anymore because they did... Listen, I was a new Trekkie back then, okay? I was, like, embracing it. I, it was, like, my first combat. I was still embracing it, okay? I was embracing the Trekdom. Okay. So, come on. Give me some slack. Cut me some slack. Okay. Well, anyway, it's not a problem anymore. They did fix the posters, although I would now point out that Uhura has no combat at all unless she's stuck it on, like, under her armpit. Um, if you go and have a look at the poster, you'll see what I mean. Uh, but yeah, I'm holding my breath in the hopes that this is just a phenomenally stupid marketing mistake and not actually indicative of what the film will be like, I hope. You know what else I noticed about these pictures, and I'm being hyper, hypercritical here, is that the women's faces are obscenely flawless. Yeah, weird. They look, they don't look normal, right? And then the men, they too are flawless, but they still have some grit, you know? They yeah. still have a little bit of texture yeah. in their skin. I noticed exactly that. The, if you look at, like, um, uh, Kirk's face is a really great example. It's almost like it's got, like, a, a grain applied to it. Right, so it looks right. extra grainy and gritty. But then you look at Uhura's face and Jayla's face, and they are, like, smooth Shit. porcelain. They look like Barbie dolls. They do. It it's doesn't. Weird. It looks unnatural. I don't like it at all. But I think did you... John Cho looks the most natural, I guess. He looks like the most like normal, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, normal photoshopped. But then right. did you notice that Scotty, Scotty's got wrinkles. Uh, yeah, I did notice that. Like yeah. they're kind yeah. of prominent sort of crow's feet wrinkles. And I thought mm-hmm. Some, mm-hmm. somebody's actually designed that to completely airbrush everybody except Scotty. or And then they've added wrinkles into Scotty. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. In small screen news, a new writer has been added to the team already rich with Star Trek alumni. Joining Brian Fuller, Nicholas Meyer, and Rod Roddenberry is Star Trek Voyager novelist Kirsten Beyer. Beyer has written eight novels and is generally considered to be the master of continuity, which is no easy task considering how often Star Trek flip-flops on Trek No Babble and plot. Now, it does seem that the community is very thrilled with this new addition to the team. However, me, you know me, I'm always kind of the naysayer and I speak for the silent majority and all that jazz. I'm starting to wonder, though, 
are we setting ourselves up for failure by having a team of purist Trekkies at the helm? Like, can this show keep up with today's Battlestar Galactica's, Breaking Bad's, Walking Dead's, or Game of Thrones? Like, will it with... with yeah, it'll be fine. With this purist? You sure? Yep. Uh, keep in mind that we have, uh, let's see, Brian Fuller be the showrunner. So he'll have a bit of direction in the scripts, but he's not going to be writing scripts. Nicholas Meyer will be writing scripts. We've talked before about exactly how hands-on Rod Roddenberry is going to be. We don't know. So uh, Kirsten Beyer being there, I think, is going to lend legitimacy to whatever gets written. However, there's a lot left. You know, um, Star Trek is not written by one person. It is written by a whole lot of people. I mean, I don't know much about the writing of, like, DS9 and Voyager, but certainly The Next Generation, everything was written by a different person. Now, that's that's going back to that open script policy that they had, which presumably they're not going to have this time around. But it's going to be a team of people. And I think they're going to be smart enough to bring in new, fresh voices that are going to help that. But then they need people who are really well-grounded in Trek lore to, to keep it all held together. Otherwise, it's just going to be a like crazy show. So I think this is good. I think this is a, a good signing early on. Um, it's much easier to bring in the, the, the wild cards uh, later in the process. So I'm fine with it. I just, I, I, I don't think that a new Voyager or a new DS9 or a new TNG is going to cut it. it. It's just not with today's audience, right? It's been how long since Enterprise? 10 years? Yeah. It's been 10 years 10 since years, Enterprise? Yeah. It's been it's been a while. It's been several years, and and that was newer, but still had the same tone and momentum in plot like its predecessors, mm-hmm. right? It was still it it you know the, the it was faster faster paced, but not by much though. You know, it really wasn't by much. And I think to reach a new audience, we really need to have a a space opera that is in the likes of something like Battlestar Galactica without being over the top and still honoring what we appreciate for Trek. But it just can't it can't go back to an episode of just talking, right? Of just us sitting around talking and, and shaking in our chairs, right? We it, it won't <laughs> that's not gonna fly. That's not gonna fly. True. No, I, I completely agree with that. I think we've still got quite a lot of time for them to round out that writing staff. Um, and we don't know yet, of course, whether they're going to have a core writing staff or whether they're going to bring on guest writers. We don't know that yet. But I think uh, having a, a firm foundation of experienced Trek writers is a good place to start. So that brings us to this week's community question. Is there a risk that being too pure to the Prime Universe or the TV Trek that we know and love could damage the series' success on mass market television? or mass market CBS All Access? Do we really want this series to be a love letter to Trekkie purists, or do we want this to be refreshing in a way that would invite new viewers? Good question. Leave us your replies in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO273, or visit us on Facebook and Twitter and give us your opinions. Now let's get Mark in on the discussion and find out what's been happening this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome to Star Trek Online News, where this week we've got an announcement of a new story mission for all players. But before we get into that, I wanted to take the opportunity to have a little discussion that I think is relevant about Star Trek Online in the context of the whole genre of MMO games. 
So a couple weeks ago, I stumbled upon an article over at Massively OP, which I think is particularly relevant to us leading into the next expansion. Now, this article is part of their Massively Overthinking series, which is a weekly feature where their writers weigh in on MMO-related topics and then ask for readers to discuss it as well. This particular one is entitled The Minority Player Bases Inside MMORPGs. The central question in this discussion is, are MMOs simply a collection of minority groups, which all together make up the whole? This question actually came up in response to a post on the World of Warcraft forums, where lead game designer Ion Watcher Hazacostas posited the following, quote, Almost every facet of World of Warcraft is an activity that caters to a minority of the player base, and yet taken together, that collection of minority groups literally is the World of Warcraft, end quote. Because of that, he says, almost every change they make to the game is likely to benefit only a small group of people and draw the negative feedback of a large group of people who may feel that they're being ignored. So they have to look at feedback for these kinds of changes very carefully. He says, and again I'll quote, A major consequence of this structure is that if we have some special reward, a powerful item, etc., and we choose to associate it with a particular playstyle, Almost by definition, a majority of player feedback will be against it. Ultimately, the approach we take is usually to tailor different content and rewards that can feel special to different groups, rather than trying to come up with the lowest common denominator that isn't special to anyone." End quote. Okay, fine. So how does this relate to Star Trek Online? Well, I happen to think that Star Trek Online, similar to how Hazacostas describes World of Warcraft, is a collection of minority player bases, but we all end up with some bigger global behaviors because of the content we are offered. So for example, even within the production team here at Priority One Podcast, we have a variety of different styles. So me, I'm a casual player focused on story content and immersion. Winters is a bit more of a power player with more focus on fleet activities and endgame content. We're not really sure what Mark does, but he's pretty good at Space Barbie. But regardless, we all play PvE queues because that's where the rewards are. Same with featured episodes, and we all play story missions and doffing and admiralty to level up, basically because we have to. I do think that Cryptic has an issue addressing minority player bases, and maybe that's part of the reason they get so much negative feedback. Rather than taking the minorities perhaps in turn, they tend to focus on broad changes that affect most people. So this is the lowest common denominator that we talked about before. That's what gives us the big season events, so Ryza and Winter Wonderland, and it's the featured episodes, things that place everyone on basically equal footing. They do a little bit try to cater to different groups, but that mostly ends up being minor fixes that take up one or two lines of patch notes. So what we have is similar to the World of Warcraft problem, but also kind of opposite. Anytime one of those big changes is made, the minority player bases are likely to feel as though they're being forced to homogenize in order to get the best rewards. So where's the focus on PvPers? Where's the focus on role players? Where's the focus on ground players, fleet action players? I don't know, exchange traders or crafting enthusiasts? These types of players generally are left to fend for themselves with no great changes or improvements on a regular basis. So should we be surprised that Cryptic chooses to focus more on a lowest common denominator? I mean, arguably that's what's kept the game going for all these years. But does it harm the feel of the MMO to be constantly reinforcing a a homogenized player base? Personally, I don't think so. 
While I would love for the game to be more diversified in terms of playstyles, I do actually like the fact that I could relate so easily to many players. But do I think that the minority player bases should just shut up and take it? Nope, I don't think that either. I think it's great, actually, that we have such a diverse and engaged community, and as long as it all stays civil, ahem, then giving feedback to the developers can only be a good thing. So what about you guys? I'm not sure uh, exactly what minority player bases would be in Star Trek Online. I know you kind of give a list there of fleet action players, but I don't know if you can break it down that much. I think that each of us plays slightly differently, and we tend to group with people who do similar things that we do. So in that way, I think that we are all sort of minority player bases. However, we have been forced to homogenize the way we play because there's no other option. I think that there is a wide variety of things that people can do in Star Trek Online. I know loads of players that don't touch on half the stuff because it just doesn't interest them. But that's exactly what I mean by a minority player base. So if you're somebody who, um, like I quite enjoy, you know, working the exchange and doing a bit of that, I would never touch PvP because I don't care about it. Sorry, PvPers. Um, there are a lot of people who only play PvP or mostly play PvP, but at the end of the day, when Ryza comes, I can guarantee you that every single player in the game is going to be doing the daily floater circuit. Because we have to. If you want to get the good stuff, if you want to get any of the good stuff, that's what you have to do. Well, I know people that uh, will not take part in Ryza because they quite simply will not be interested in the ship. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. There are times I have not done the winter event. There are times I have not done the summer event because the ship or whatever just has no appeal to me. Yeah, I think that um, I, I know a lot of people that didn't do last year's winter event. Just, no, they don't do it. They didn't want the ship. They're not interested in it in the slightest. I don't think that players have to do anything. I think that there is a wide variety of choices for players to, uh, to do in Star Trek. Well, I think the point that I was trying to make is that unlike uh, this guy from World of Warcraft, Hazacostas, who talks about making something special for a certain type of minority player base, we don't get that in Star Trek Online. There is no awesome thing that you can get by playing PvP. There is no awesome thing you can get by getting up to level 20 in all of your crafting um, schools. There is no awesome thing you can get by being a really great role player. Uh, unless you happen to have a fleet externally that rewards that, that's something else. But the, the rewards that we get and the things that Cryptic reinforces us with are the broad, lowest common denominator goals, the ones that will be appealing to everybody because it's pretty good for everybody in most situations. So an event ship is a good example. Okay, there are players who are going to look at it and not be that excited about it, but generally speaking, the event ships that come out are good ships for most things. You can kind of see this is the way it's kind of been going for a while. Like way back at the start of STO, it used to be more like almost like two factions of players. It was always PvE versus PvP. And PvE won out. And PvE has continued to win out. 
ever since because it's what most people are interested in, like we were saying. But I liked what you said about having different types of rewards for different things. I know it's probably never going to happen as fully as what we would hope, but you think now and again there should be some time devoted to let's do something for PvP, let's do something for crafting. You know, kind of flesh out that, yes, we recognise that these people are here. You're not completely left. Because at this point in time, there is nothing for crafting. There's been many ideas bounded about for crafting, and I know it's still sort of on the whiteboard, so to speak. But what struck me is crafting. They built it future-proof. So you could go up to level 20, but what is there? Well, I, I think I, I kind of disagree with that. Uh, it's not that long ago since we had a major crafting revamp. Crafting before was absolutely crap. And uh, I think it, the difference is night and day between what it was before and what it is now. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I, I'm just thinking about like what is and what it can be. You know, it's like if you get to level 15, you've currently unlocked everything. There are people out there who will be like the min-maxers who want to get to 20. Yeah. What really is there? What incentive is there to um, get everything to 20? Well, being level 20 just means that you have a higher chance of getting a crit on the items that you craft. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's kinda like... uh, essentially, if you craft a, let's say, a TR-116B and mm. you get a crit, it's ultra-rare, so it's going to be worth more on the exchange. You don't have to spend as much dilithium on it to upgrade it. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of plays into more Is, sort isn't of... Isn't that an, a reward in itself for going that extra mile? But then that well, kind yeah, of plays yes into... Yes, it is. So it, there, there is a reward for doing these things. But um, if you are a very keen crafter, that system has not changed. There's no, there's no event around crafting... I'm not saying there should be, but I'm just saying there's no there's no attention put on it. It's a system that exists and works well and is rewarding, strictly speaking. But there's no like shiny. There's there's no incentive and there's no focus from Cryptic to uh, emphasize the the smaller groups of players that are interested in things that are not the broad story content mm-hmm. and PVEQ content. Yeah. So well, those are, I can understand why they do it, because that's that commercially makes a lot of sense. But it does, for me, makes makes the MMO lack a little bit of something. Okay. Well, one thing I have to say there is um, there is a PvP or a PvP. There is a um, R and D event. You get more XP if you craft your own an R and D weekend. The mm-hmm. second point I was going to make is um, uh, minority. Uh, how did you put it, a player base, Mm -hmm. I would consider would be our peers. Mm -hmm. Cryptic can't do a whole lot with that. That's up Mm -hmm. to a fleet. That doesn't fall into Cryptic's domain at all, apart from uh, building ships and adding costumes and stuff like that, which they do all the time. Every Mm -hmm. time we get a new lockbox, there's always a new costume that comes out with it as well uh, in the lobby store, usually. Um... I would consider that to be a minority, or not even a minority, but, you know, one of those, well, maybe a minority player base. Cryptic can't do anything with that to affect it, really, can they? True. But what about a different kind of minority player base, like the PvEers, or like the ground specialists? We, there, there is currently no event for ground 
um, you know, we talked about last week or the week before, I can't remember, about these tentpole events like the XP weekend and the dilithium weekend and mm -hmm. um, R&D weekend. Um, these are rotating events that happen on a regular basis, but um, they benefit all players, generally speaking, in the same amount. But there's nothing that says that draws a spotlight onto, um, you know, uh, ground events, for instance. There's no Kobali weekend that's just throwing that out there. There's, there's nothing like that to highlight those kind of players. And what all of the events that we get are broadly appealing to everyone. The lowest I, common denominator. I completely agree with you there. I think that um, they could do... Like, right now, we've got the Crystalline Entity event going on. I think mm -hmm. that there should be a ground version, not of the Crystalline Entity, but, you know, that type of event. You do a queue every day for 14 days, and you get a special item, and then you get a massive reward at the end. I think that they should do a ground version mm -hmm. of that event. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be really, really good. The other thing is, though, and let's... You know, be honest here. Ground is not Star Trek Online's strongest suit. It is a space game. They have nailed space down. It is absolutely fantastic. It is the best part of the game. Space yep. combat. Ground, not so much. It's not yep. quite as good as it could be compared to other games. Um, so I don't know if that is part of it or not, but ground just isn't as big or popular in Star Trek Online. Simple as that. Well, but that's what I'm talking about. That's a minority player base. There are people who are very into ground uh, in Star Trek Online. Mm -hmm. They are a minority player base that gets little to no attention. And I'm not suggesting that Cryptic should spend six months revamping the entire ground combat system. Again. But there's no... You don't get anything special by being one of that minority player base versus somebody who just does it because you have to get through the story missions. Uh, and that's the kind of attention that I was kind of talking well, about. Would you say the Dyson Sphere Ground Battle Zone is something for ground players? Uh, yes, but there's no... It, that's been around for a while. It's the same as True. I was saying with the with the crafting system that that system was implemented in the game and it is a part of the game but it's not something that's sort of actively developed or Celebrated. has any kind of spotlight on it. Right, okay. There's no... Uh, you know, you could have a I don't know, a Dyson Invasion event. Well, like you were saying with the crystalline, uh, the crystalline catastrophe, the Dyson ground catastrophe, I don't know. Um, yeah, like um, uh, and that, Federation that incursion. Yeah, and it is, it's conspicuously missing from the game when what we do have is quite a few uh, recurring events that um, are the stuff that everybody already does. So it's fine, and because of that, it doesn't. I don't blame people that are the minority sort of specialists for complaining. Be they should complain because they're not getting any attention on it. Um, they should keep it civil, and obviously, cryptic could listen to them or not. It's up to them. Um, but I, I hope they keep the discourse going because I think that improves the game on the whole. True. So that brings us to this week's community question. Do you think that Star Trek Online is a collection of minority player bases? And what do you think Cryptic could do to foster more diversity in the game? So we have a new blog post about an upcoming mission for Agents of Yesterday, the core of the matter. 
coming to the game with the next expansion, this time it seems with a twist from what we've seen previously. It will be available to all players above level 19. Now this means it might not be in a featured episode, but it's slotting into the current missing roster. Is there a change of foot for the lineup? Is it a throwaway one-off exploration type mission? All we know so far is what we got from the blog, and it states this. Glorandrin Core is known in the 24th century as a geologically unstable planet plagued by severe electromagnetic storms. The thick rolling clouds of charged particles interfere with sensors and transporters alike and have rendered the surface of the world only barely capable of supporting humanoid life. But Glorandrin Core was not always this way. Mix this with the main blog post picture of some stunning architecture, and that's all we know so far without heading to Tribble. Speaking of which, Gold and Lifetime members can head there now to check it out. I really, really want to know what the heck's going on with this mission. Mm, I'm going on to Tribble after we finish recording. And I'll tell you why... I mean, I, I don't even care about the mission. I'll tell you why I find it interesting. Mm. Because um, in our previous expansions, what we've had is a standalone story arc that kind of is either... So Delta Rising was a standalone story arc that happened after everything else. Mm. Kind of. Uh, the Legacy of Romulus was a standalone story arc that then ended up sort of dovetailing into the uh, the main story arc at the end of it, right? Yeah. This one, what we've seen so far, is six standalone TOS faction missions, and then we got this, this little one. guy. But it's not a featured episode. It's not an endgame mission. Mm. It's kind of slotted there in the middle, but everyone can play it. See, that's what and really interests me about it. It just seems it's randomly here. I mean, this excites me. I mean, I'm not even going to speculate what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I think why it excites me is because temporal shenanigans is why. <laughs> okay, oh, it wouldn't you know, take long for that term to come uh, back. I know there's a lot of naysayers out there and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be crap because it doesn't look like, or it just looks like there's not going to be enough missions. You know what? We, okay, I'm not going to say we because I don't know about you guys, but I loved the Iconian War story arc. Yep. I thought it was clever to the point and it, and you know, the end of that story arc totally hit the spot for me. Yeah. It did exactly what it should have done. I didn't see the ending coming, and well, I mean, I kind of did, but um, it, it, it just it was satisfying. And I mean, I don't want to just sit over here and totally fangirl, but I I have a lot of faith in the development team, and particularly Al Rivera, that they're going to come up with something that works. Mm-hmm. And I think we haven't seen anything like it before. And I think it's totally ridiculous to try and you know speculate based on what we've seen because i think we're all going to be kind of blown away to see how it all comes out and that was what i think when it says all players by level 19 does that mean that our um, tos federation by level 19 are in 2409 or are people coming back that's what makes me start thinking what way is it going to go i don't know but i'm pretty faithful that it's going to work and it's i'm just really excited to see how it's all going to come together. And because of that reason, I'm totally, I've, just, I've made my decision. Even if it goes, even if they take the Golden Lifetime restriction off and they open it up to people on Triple, I'm totally not going to play it until it's released. Mm. So I can just get it in its like perfect release state. Well, you know, 
minus the one or two emergency patches that usually <laughs> happens, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. So that's exciting to me. So good. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about patch notes. Um, we haven't really covered them in the last few weeks because the changes coming through have been um, pretty relatively minor. But this week, there's a few changes that you'll definitely want to know about. So generally speaking, it looks like the dev team are really ramping up some bug fixes pertaining to the new user experience, and that's in preparation for Agents of Yesterday, of course. For example, uh, a number of waypoints have been added to story missions in order to make it easier to know where you're going. Some cutscenes have been tweaked, and there were also a few tweaks to mechanics with missions, so things that may have prevented players from progressing or allowed them to progress too quickly. Somewhat controversially, a few character customization options have actually been removed, like eyeshadow for Vulcans, long nails for male characters, and the Android light iris eye color option has also been taken away. And finally, the one really big change that's come this week, those modifications to attribute sets that Winters took us through last week, those have been tested on the Redshirt test server now, and they are now live on Holodeck. So if you've noticed a performance boost, do let us know. We want to hear from you guys whether you think it's made a difference. That said, Jeremy Randall, aka Bordicus, said, quote, The performance fixes in today's patch were not intended or expected to improve any client FPS issues. Sorry if you got that impression, end quote. For the full patch notes and to see whether you'll be affected by any of the changes this week, We'll leave a link in the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO273. And again this week, in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from PW and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs, here's the latest comments pulled from the Twitterverse. Thomas the Cryptic Cat, aka Thomas Maroney, tweeted... I'm working on two blogs for Star Trek Online today, but unfortunately they contain no mention of ZBrush. Ships? Ships. Do they do ships in ZBrush? I don't know. I just thought if he's talking about that, it must be ships. Maybe it's the riser ship. Mind you, the last blog he talked about was UI, so Mm. maybe there's some more uh, UI hints. Maybe. We can only hope. Maybe, maybe. And Jeremy Randall at Borticus Cryptic tweeted also this week, Some people call me Maurice. I have no idea why. <laughs> I'm not going to make a joke because I already made that joke on Twitter and I will look totally lame repeating it here. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. Or at least one. Summer is coming. Well, this summer event that is. And so far we know nothing, Jon Snow, about what is being offered as a reward. Other than that it will begin on the 9th. That's this coming Thursday and will run through mid-July. Hopefully we'll find out more soon. As always, events are subject to change without notice. Make sure you check the in-game calendar or listen in here at Priority One Podcast for the latest news and updates from Star Trek Online. And now it's time for Treklet 101 with Jace. Hello, Captains. This is Jace with the May edition of Treklet 101. Now that we're done with the fallout from Into Darkness, we pick up with Volume 8 of IDW's Star Trek ongoing series and explore several strange new worlds in three standalone, single-issue stories from early phases of the Enterprise's five-year mission of exploration. 
After that, we'll divert to a different alternate version of the TOS era, the comic adaptation of Harlan Ellison's original teleplay for City on the Edge of Forever. So digging into Volume 8 of Star Trek Ongoing first, we have three very different stories, which are also of varying quality. The first, Parallel Lives, is cute and has some amusing single-panel references to the original series and The Next Generation, but ultimately it has very little meat to it. It shows us a parallel universe to the JJ-verse with just one tiny change, but telling that would spoil the only real surprise. There were a few moments where I thought they would take this dimensional intersection story somewhere interesting, but in my opinion that failed to manifest. Ultimately, it was a weird sort of fan fiction or fan service story and fairly forgettable. The second story, on the other hand, I, Enterprise, is the best of the bunch. For starters, it has fantastic artwork, especially of the Enterprise itself. Intriguingly, in light of the recent rumors about Star Trek Online, this story is an origin tale for Science Officer 0718, the seemingly android-like bridge officer seen in Star Trek Into Darkness. I'll be curious to see if future developments with this character embrace this story as canon or retcon it into oblivion. I found it to be a bit evocative of Avengers Age of Ultron and its origin for Ultron and Vision. If you read only one of these three stories in Volume 8, I'd read I, Enterprise. Finally, the third story, Lost Apollo. Naturally reading that name, I thought this might be a JJ-verse take on Who Mourns for Adonais. However, it's really more like the Enterprise episode Extinction mashed up with elements of the next generation's The Royale. This comparison, by the way, is not meant as a compliment, as much as I personally enjoy The Royale. Come on, data cheating at dice, golden. Baby needs a new pair of shoes. Even the ending of Lost Apollo was fairly lackluster, with little closure or substance as the Enterprise and her crew just move on to the next episode. Like Parallel Lives, pretty forgettable. This would have been my least favorite volume so far, except that I, Enterprise, really does almost redeem it. Of course, if it gets retconned later, that will leave not very much to recommend Volume 8 other than the art in that single story. The good news is that the next volume is one I've been waiting for a long time. The Q Gambit, a six-issue story arc. But we'll get to that next time. In the meantime, however, we'll take a look at the adaptation of Ellison's original script for City on the Edge of Forever. We talked about this in a Trek It Out quite some time ago in the show, and Uncle Harlan has famously never been happy with the version that was produced, despite how beloved it's remained for nearly 50 years among fans. This five-part miniseries features fantastic, almost realistic art by J.K. Woodward and covers by the talented Juan Ortiz who many of you may already know for his series of TOS episode posters. The collected edition includes four and afterwards from Harlan Ellison himself, as well as a great section in the back with alternate covers and some insight into the development of the comic. As for the story itself, it remains recognizable to fans of the episode. There are quite a few changes to details and to the frame story. It's not a drugged McCoy who beams to the planet and wreaks havoc, for example. And the Guardian of Forever is quite different. It seems to me almost as though the animated episode yesteryear may have been slightly influenced by elements of the original teleplay that were unused, but the similarities aren't quite strong enough for me to be certain. I like that they mostly retain the looks of things from the episode. Kirk and Spock's clothing in the 1930s was the same, and Edith Keeler still looked like Joan Collins. This version of the story does raise some interesting questions about time, fate, and the relative importance of different individuals' destinies as well. 
However, some of the dialogue, especially between Kirk and Spock, seems very rough, even if it had been aired back in the 60s. Spock seems really snarky and even racist at times, more so than the usual jibes and ribbing about humans and Vulcans that you see in the show. I can see why some aspects of the frame story were changed as well, in line with Gene Roddenberry's ideals about the Starfleet future. Overall, I don't think this is a strictly superior version of City on the Edge of Forever, but there are certainly elements of it I would have loved to see make it into the original episode. Some of the things they altered for television, though, I think were good decisions, especially aspects of the ending. I definitely recommend this collection to any fan of Star Trek, comics, or that episode in particular. Look for this one-volume version with the Juan Ortiz cover to get the best special features. That's all for this installment of Trek Lit 101. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Last week's community question was absolute crap, and nobody replied. And we don't blame you. So, let's move on to some general feedback. So we actually had quite a lot of feedback on our interview with Samuel Wall, the art director for Star Trek Online. So first up from Phoenix Blue on PriorityOnePodcast.com. He says, Speaking of the devil being in the details, if you've been in a Tau Dewa sector patrol recently and had the Enterprise show up, look closely. The famous NCC 1701F registry is missing, replaced by a generic NCC 97000. <gasps> Scandal. Hmm. I, I think that's probably just a bug. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and from Regulus FF7, who posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Just a side opinion, it would be really nice to have some different loading screens for STO. Something like the warp-in sequence for Kerfez would be extremely awesome, or at least let players choose camera angle for warp-in, warp-out will be wonderful. I quite like that idea. don't know if it's necessarily feasible, but it's nice. Via Twitter... Our very own Brandon Parker, audio assistant here on Priority One Podcast, tweeted, It was an honor editing Samuel Wall's interview for Priority One Podcast. His work on Star Trek Online is amazing. Thank you, Brandon, for your time and efforts, man. Great work, as always. And just one final comment. Gavin Runeblade wrote on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Thinking of the Abrams comment about Axanar, I think it just comes down to exactly what the comment you read about Nimoy said. It was overwhelming, more important, more positive news. I think he was as sick of it as the rest of us and just said something to make it go away. But I think it did clear the way for the community to put the thing into the past. We also got an email about our coverage last week from Robbie O'Brien talking about, you know, the legalities behind it and 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 um, and how we kind of just brushed over some details. Truth is, though, is that the, the, the Axonar thing is, is just very dramatic. So, you know, we will cover some of the key moments as the story progresses. But like I said last week, I think that, uh, that there's ego all over the place. And it's just not something that, that you know, we want to be trying to cover from week to week, from week to week to week to week. So, Robbie O'Brien, hang in there because Tony Hunter will reply. Well, that wraps up episode 273 of Priority One Podcast. But before we sign off, we've got to thank our Patreon supporters, Navy Boat Slew, Stephen Humphrey, and Rarva. So here's a reminder of this week's community questions. Is there a risk that being too pure to the Prime Universe, or to the TV Trek we know and love, could damage the series' success on mass-market television? 
And from our Stow News segment, do you think that Star Trek Online is a collection of minority player bases? And what do you think Cryptic could do to foster more diversity in-game? Captains, you know we love hearing from you, so leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail for free via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. All you need is a microphone. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. And if you're listening to us via iTunes or Google Play, please leave us a review. And more importantly, help spread the word about the show. Invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many, many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at johntowery.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To our writer and social media guru, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Holosuite Media for supporting this show. And a congratulations to Midnight Shadow 7 and the team over at Tribbles and Ecstasy for their nomination in this year's podcast awards. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria DePost, and Gavin LaWarn. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Greetings, Captain. We're off to a good start, are we? Uh oh. It started already. Jeez. Jeez. You broke me. Three seconds in. On the first word. Jeez. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I don't know. <laughs> he's gone he's gone from pirate to hillbilly don't forget to keep the conversation going y'all Yeehaw! come back now you her okay. mind your head granny <laughs> this is elijah trek it out sink one this is kenna trek it out sink two this is senior winters trek it out sink three trekking it out in three two this week, Paramount... Paramount... Paramount...
So someone in the art department is going to be getting a slap on the wrist this week because posters of Sulu and Uhuru. Uhuru. Oh Oh my God. Suru and Uhuru. (laughs) What the hell? (sighs) (sighs) Joining Brian Fuller, Nicholas Meyer, and Rod Roddenberry is Star Trek voyeur novelist. Voyeur. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a whole wow. different set of novels. <laughs> Peek inside what the crew gets up to in their off hours. <laughs> what will you find between those ample nacelles? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. <sighs> Here we go. Priority one. After hour fan fiction. All right. God, do you know what, though? There is some of that out there. I bet there is. You don't even have to look hard for it. (laughs) Cookie been up to roll tricks again. Uh. (laughs) Which is no easy task considering how often Star Trek flip-flops on Trek-no-bobble. Winter, should we take bets on whether Elijah can make it through any single sentence (laughs) for the rest of the show? Who wrote this (laughs) shit? I did. Okay. Lord, I need to see this every single fucking time. Galondon Core. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, it's really tricky with your accent. Yes, There's a lot of um, R's in there. Galondon Core. That's Galondon why I'm going over slowly. <coughs> Galondon Core is known in the 24th century as a geo. I need to say geopolitical. <laughs> that would have been funny. Geopolitically unstable planet. Replacing a difficult world word with an even more difficult word. Yeah, if I, I don't do things by half. If I'm making it difficult, I'm going whole hog. <laughs> we are the champions, my friends. Dun, making it through. And we'll keep on reading <laughs> till, till the end. end. Dun, dun, bow, dun. Bow, bow. We are illiterate. <laughs> we are. We're, we're done though, so aren't we? We're done. Yeah. Let's just hit. Stop. Oh, you already said but before we go, and now I can't say but before we go. Again. How about here's a reminder? <sighs> here's a reminder of this week's community questions. Is there a risk? Sometimes I have to, like, ho- I have to hold your hand. You see, and then she gave me shit. <laughs> earlier telling me that Elijah you need to listen to it later and then here we go I have to give her the right I can't work like this anymore it's because you stole my thunder I can't deal with stolen thunder like what do I do then it's just I got a script I'm reading the script I can do the script I can't just ad lib talk without words in front of me I can't ad lib get down get to the chopper (laughs) get to the script get in the script (laughs) Drunk. All you need is a microphone. It, that was like so weird. Why did you do it like that? Okay, so that was like a four. I need it. You know, it's so we have to say this. Every I know, I know, week, over and over. Let's but it's inject some no. Life you don't need it. life into it. It's the it's the closing. It's the credits. People like it yes. because it's familiar. It's like a warm. No, people skip it's like it. a warm blanket. It. It's like a cuddly it's a, duvet. Skip it's it. like. No. Do you know, okay, it. do you know that thing when you crawl into bed and you can kind of smell your pillow and it smells familiar and it's comforting and it helps you 
calm you into sleep. That's what closing is. Covering the... Oh, man, here we go. Don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Covering the world of mobile apps like Candy Crush, Angry Birds, and Farmville. If you like this show, then you won't like that one. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) 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 Ha, 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 ha.